Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. Hear now the word of the Lord. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Would you pray with me again? Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of your holy scriptures, that you would use them to speak into our lives. I pray, God, that you would let these not just be words that we read and hear this morning, but that you would make them live within us so that we might, through them and through the works of your Son, Jesus Christ, come to know you better. Lord, for myself, I pray that my words would be good and acceptable to you, that they would do nothing but glorify you, because other than that, they're worthless. Lord, I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So as we have been working through this year so far, as we've been coming together, we've been talking about the ways that Jesus has changed lives. We've been talking a lot about healing And through that, we've been talking a lot about what it means to be people of faith. We've been talking about who we are and what we believe. You know, there's a lot of different ways that we can sort of categorize uh, who, uh, what our faith looks like. We're Christians. We gather together and are a part of a Methodist church. We're Protestants. We come together and Uh, The Methodist Church, which is a mainline church, which means it's old, it's well-established, it's been around for a long time. People kind of know what to expect when they get there. But we're also a part of uh, what they call the Evangelical Church, which doesn't necessarily mean what most people think it means. It doesn't mean anything political at all, even though that's where most people seem to use it nowadays. But rather, what evangelical means in its purest form is that there's a focus on an experiential faith, a faith that isn't just something that you know about, but rather something that truly changes your life. It's the idea that life with Jesus is different than life without Jesus. 
And so as we come and walk in faith, we are changed. They say that it means there's a focus on being born again. That being with Jesus changes your life. And it's true. We believe that faith in Jesus changes everything, truly. We're talking about how when you know Jesus, everything changes. And over the next several weeks throughout the season of Lent, we're going to be looking at stories in Scripture in which an encounter with Jesus changes someone's life. We've been talking about healing, and that's a part of it for sure. But there are so many other ways that these encounters with Jesus yielded change. And so through them, we're going to understand, we're going to come to learn and see how Jesus works to change lives so that we can see how he's changing ours with every passing day. And so, in the spirit of Ash Wednesday, which has just passed a few days ago when we remembered our own mortality, that we were made from dust and will return to dust, and when we heard the commandments to repent and believe the gospel, it seemed only fitting that we would start this talk about life change by talking about sin. Sounds like Ash Wednesday, after all. And so we find ourselves in this scripture this morning, when Jesus, once again, as he often did, gathering a crowd to teach, this time in the temple. So the scripture says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this man was caught, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So just in this first piece of this story, there's so much that we can dive into. There's so much that we can see about what's happening here. This is one of the most common stories, one of the most well-known parts of the gospel. And yet, we can always benefit by looking back once again. So the first thing that we can see is that this woman was brought into the temple courts She was an Israelite. She was one of the people of God. She wasn't just a random person on the street that the Pharisees found. She was somebody who shared their heritage, who shared their faith, who was a part of their community. She wasn't an outsider. This is somebody who was truly one of the insiders. When we talk about this story, we often think that it's talking about people who are outside Of the church, but in truth, in this story, we are most like the woman because we too are insiders who stand in sin. This is about people with some connection to God. And so the question that comes up isn't actually about whether this woman has sinned, it's not even about whether it matters that she sinned. Everybody knows that she has and that it does. She knows it. After all, she knows that these Pharisees are suddenly talking about stoning her to death. Jesus knows it, and it matters to him. We see this at the end of this, but we'll get back to that. It wasn't about 
whether or not the sin was important. Everybody knew that it was. It was about whether she should be killed for it. That's the question at hand. It was not, was this wrong? It was, was this so wrong that we should kill her? But here's the thing. The Pharisees didn't care about that either. Pharisees didn't even actually care about this woman at all. What Scripture tells us is that they wanted to use her sin, that they wanted to use her to catch Jesus in defiance of the law. You find this every time the Pharisees come into the story. They're always trying to catch Jesus. They're always trying to make him slip up and say something that'll get him into trouble. In this case, if he had said, no, she does not deserve to be stoned, then he would be speaking against the law. And therefore, the religious councils would have been able to condemn him. He would have lost his credibility in the eyes of the people and the teachers. But if he said, yes, we should stone her, then Rome would have said, well, wait a minute, who are you to say that somebody should die? That's our power, not yours. You're just a lowly Israelite. You don't have the power of the courts. And so one way or the other, the idea was the Pharisees were going to get Jesus this time. Friends, we are granted as Christians a responsibility. Whether we like it or not, when we profess faith in Christ, we become representatives of Christ. See, we are these insiders in this story. We're the people who have had some experience of God. When we claim our faith, we are claiming that we've been transformed. But the question that comes up is what does that actually mean? When people look at us and they see how we live out our faith, when we live our lives in certain ways, that's what people think that the faith is about. That impacts how people think about Christ. We have a responsibility. This is one of the reasons why I always tell people that if they're going to have a church bumper sticker, then they can't cut people off in traffic. Or if they're going to wear a church t-shirt, they shouldn't be rude to cashiers. It's because you are a representative of what you claim. It impacts what people think about the thing that you represent. And so, in this case, when we fall short, when we fall into sin, when we make mistakes, what does that say about our faith? The question that comes up in people's minds is, well, this is a person who claims to have been changed by Jesus, but they don't look very much different. So how powerful could that transformation actually be? See, when we fall short, there's this danger that the world will try to use our sin to discredit Jesus. And that leaves us with a big responsibility on our shoulders. And yet, we also know, as Romans says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. And so, the question isn't, what do we do if? It's, what do we do now? What do we, as people who've fallen short of what we claim, of the faith that we proclaim to the world, as people who've fallen short, what happens next? What do we do? We stand like this woman accused, and we know that the accusations are true. And yet the scripture continues, it says this, But Jesus bent down 
and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. See, what Jesus does here is he sets up a standard. He sets up the standard for who can condemn this woman to die. He says, yes, we all know that she has sinned. We all know that she's broken the law. But who of you have not also broken the law? That is the person who can deliver the punishment. Otherwise, if you say that this woman should be killed, then what about us? What about everybody else? Any of you who wouldn't be put to death under the same rule, be the first one to throw a stone. They must be sinless if they would kill someone for sinning. And, and as you would expect, nobody can meet this standard. Not one of the Pharisees, not one of the teachers of the law. And so, beyond that, they also see that once again, Jesus has gotten the better of them. That they came to him with a trick, and he managed to turn it back on them. And so at the end of all of this, Jesus is the only one who still looks good. And so when they see that none of them can actually throw stones, and none of them can outsmart Jesus, they begin to leave, one by one, starting with the oldest and the wisest first. And then even the young go-getters trickle out as well, silenced by Jesus' power, humbled by what he's taught them. See, Jesus' first response in this situation is one that comes out of love, and that is to protect this woman. The very first thing that happens when this woman is brought to Jesus and said, shouldn't she die? Is Jesus responds in a way that makes sure that she is safe. It makes sense that Jesus would start this way to love and protect because after all, that's what a savior does. And the question that comes up from this is Jesus asked these Pharisees, who of you can say that she is beyond grace? Who of you can say that she no longer deserves to live? And all of them said that they could not. Friends, who can say that you are beyond salvation? Who can say that you... My mic died. Who can say that you are beyond the power of Jesus? Who can meet that standard so as to condemn you? There's none in the same way that there were none for this woman. None can overcome the power of Jesus Christ to save each and every one of us. In Christ, nobody can condemn you. But hear this, that includes even you. We are not powerful enough to overcome the grace of Jesus Christ. If you think that there's something that you have done that's too much for Jesus to make right, then you're overestimating your own ability. Don't get so caught up in what you've done that you can't move forward, that you can't 
try and walk by faith every day, sin isn't the end of the story. That's part of the good news. It's just a part of it. And so the scripture continues in verse 10. It says this, Jesus straightened up and asked the woman, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. He asks her, have any of these men declared that they are perfect and sinless and therefore have the ability to condemn you to death? She says no, and Jesus says, I am the only one here who's without sin. I'm the only one who could condemn, condemn you to die and I will not. And then he says the amazing thing. He says, go and leave your life of sin. He gives her a second chance to walk by faith, to be a part of the people of God. Lent is about recognizing our sin so that we can turn away from it, so that we can turn back towards Jesus. We've been given a second chance, just as this woman has. So let's not use these second chances to repeat the same past failures and mistakes. We've been given freedom from sin and death through Jesus Christ, so let us go and use that freedom to live life as we should, as it was designed. When we walk by faith in Christ, what we can find is life that's not only better, but is fuller and more abundant than anything we could ever have hoped for otherwise. We've been given this second chance to go and mend broken relationships where we've driven people away through our sin, to step out of the brokenness that we know, the pain and the, uh, and the old practices that keep us bound to escape our destructive habits, not by our own power, but by the power of Christ who lives in us. But it all starts with repentance, with learning to lean on Christ and by his power to go and leave this life of sin behind. We've been spared from death, just as this woman was. Let's not go and put ourselves right back in the same situations that caused that need in the first place. Let's not do the same things that got us into this in the first place. The call of Jesus is a call to turn away from everything that there was before and to follow him instead. Because the gospel is that that's where true life can be found. That's where salvation can be found. It all starts with repentance and a choice that we've been given. We can go back to how it's always been. Or, or, we can turn to Christ, hear these words, and choose to follow after him instead and live a life of holiness, a life of fullness, of joy in his salvation, of hope, and of peace. Friends, the choice is there. Christ has given us these options. 
In his name, let us choose to follow. Amen.